When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. We've talked a little about 2020 on the show, but this week, Alyssa Mastermonico joins me live in studio to finally address the Bernie Sanders in the room. Then Alyssa sticks around and joins Kieran Deal and brand new member of the Hysteria crew, Naomi Ekparrigan, to discuss money, who has it, who doesn't, and why it's so awkward to talk about it. And of course, the hills will die on. A little housekeeping before we get to the show. Just a reminder, if you are a listener who wants to submit a hill you will die on, you can send them in a 30-second voice memo to hysteria at crooked.com. You can also email us if you just want to get in touch and talk about something. Uh, I check the email, and Caroline checks the email, and I'm not sure who else checks the email, but your email will be read. And also, our Nancy shirts are back in stock, so you can go to crooked.com if you want to get one of yours with Pelosi on it. Now let's get to it. Well, listeners, we have a very special treat this week, and I am delighted to welcome Alyssa Mastermonico to the studio live and in the flesh. Never leaving. Please stay here forever. It's so much better when you're here and I can look at you. I just, I said I'm going to make out with you the whole time. No one can stop me. (laughs) I'm fine. I consent. Uh, We're going to cover the news, and then Alyssa's going to stick around for the rest of the show. So first, I want to get into a couple of kind of quick items before we dive into the Bernie thing. Yeah. Still feeling the burn? Still feeling the burn or not? Or are we feeling burned? Or do we need burned? a cream for the burn? Are we feeling burned? Does it continue to... Yeah. Is it a good burn or a, a bad, bad burn? burn? <laughs> okay. A couple of, couple of news items, though, that we have our eye on. A 24-year-old Honduran woman went into labor and delivered a stillborn baby while in ICE custody recently. She was six months pregnant when she was apprehended near Hidalgo, Texas on February 18th. Um, but ICE released a statement about the the woman giving birth to the stillborn baby and doesn't count the stillbirth as an in-custody death, which I find interesting considering how much they've tried to interfere with abortion. The opposite of what they said on the Senate floor the other day. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Lots of mental gymnastics going on in the pro-life crowd and the ICE community there. So we're keeping an eye on that. All right, next, a quick palate cleanser that I think uh, we can only describe as bite-sized justice. It's the sort of thing that you just, you can hear it within 30 seconds and you get pretty much the gist of the story. And at the end of it, you're like, yep, justice was served. So you remember, Alyssa, that newspaper in Alabama that ran the editorial that was like, bring the Klan back. It was good. It was good. Bring it back. Yeah. That was what the... Terrifying. Yeah. Pretty, pretty bad. Uh, Well, the editor of the newspaper and the author of that op-ed stepped down the other week and... Uh, the don't, news. Don't you hope they were fired? Yeah, they stepped down amid the firestorm before they got fired. Allegedly. Um, yes, allegedly. Um, but bad news for that deposed editor. The new editor of the paper is a black woman. Wah, wah. Yeah. So Alicia R. Dexter will take the Democrat reporter over in Linden, Alabama, and we at Hysteria congratulate her and wish her get the, it, girl. Wish her the best of luck. Okay. 
I would like to talk about both of those things, but we don't have time because we have to finally address the whole Bernie thing. The whole Bernie thing. So here's here's my here are my feelings about Bernie Sanders. Uh, I feel like every single time I talk about him, no matter who I'm talking about him with, I have to preface it by holding my hands up and saying, like, look, I'm not this and this and this, but I'm also not this and this and this. I think you and I, Alyssa, are similarly people who can understand both strong emotional reactions to Bernie. Definitely. I mean, let us let me just take everyone on my Bernie journey, which is <laughs> <laughs> that Bernie offered me my first ever position in politics in 1995 in Burlington, Vermont, where I was an intern. And as the person who, one, treated me as a human being and engaged me politically when I was like 20, you know, I have I hold him in high regard. And I liked his policies then, which are roughly his policies now. So, you know, it, you can critique Bernie for a lot of things, but there are only certain things I will listen to critique on. Mm -hmm. Well, I think another the other side of the critique of Bernie is the excitement around Bernie. He just declared his candidacy last week, I believe, and he's already raised $10 million. $10 milzo. Same, And I think it's the same way that he raised it in 2016, which it's was small donors. Small donors, but also something crazy I read that something like 30% of the donors were new. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty fascinating. You know, I know a lot of people who were not super politically engaged who really got switched on to politics when Bernie started kind of rising in prominence in 2015, 2016. I mean, like like rabbit, like people who I worked with, not in the White House, but in other places <laughs> who were really disillusioned, were wearing Bernie T-shirts to work. And right. so you can't discount whatever that is that got people involved in the process because mm -hmm. being involved in the process is important. Exactly. And th there's this huge amount of excitement and, and enthusiasm around him. And it's impossible to argue that Bernie hasn't moved the needle and moved the conversation because now the conversation that 2020 Democratic candidates are having are basically things that he was talking about for the last few decades. You Correct. Know, the rest of the party has come around to, to him. And that's to his credit. He's got a ton of excitement. He's raising a ton of money. Uh, he's switching people on who are felt alienated from the process. And yet, and yet, there was a negative emotional reaction among some people to him announcing his candidacy. And I kind of want to, to borrow a, a, like a freshman seminar word, I kind of want to unpack that. Let's unpack Let's it. Let's unpack it. Why do you think, Alyssa, that people... I have to go first? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm the host. I ask the questions. <laughs> this is my Bill O'Reilly moment. You fuck it. Go for it, Chris Wallace. <laughs> Oh, yeah. thank you. You're welcome. He's Chris a little, Wallace is a good journalist. He's a little more, you know, m modulated. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. But why do you feel like there's still some residual anger and negativity around Bernie as he's redeclaring his candidacy? So I've thought about this a lot because the bitterness in the primary isn't so different than it was in 2008 between the Obama people and the Clinton people, right? You had the people who were going to set themselves on fire if she didn't win, and you had people who would set themselves on fire if he didn't win. But when you think about it, the difference was is that she became our secretary of state. So there was some sort of like reunification. People were like, okay, like she's not president, but she got this. The the Bernie Hillary rift never mended. Mm -hmm. You know, do you think it would have if she would have won? Do you think he would have she would have given him a an important appointment? I would hope so. Yeah, you know, I think it's the right thing to do. I actually wish that she would have made him vice president because I think that that would have really 
Well, we would have won, probably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bernie would have won asterisk as VP. As VP. As, don't, don't tweet at me. <laughs> um, um, but I just think that there are, you know, look, Bernie had some problems. There were the Bernie bros who, you know, were not necessarily like on the team after she became the nominee. And people f- want to attribute her loss to them not getting on the program. And so I just think that there's a lot of, you know, in an election that was so complicated, for a very long time, the easiest thing would be that it was like his fault, that she didn't win, and now we have the Russians. And I just, it's really, I mean, I really can't unpack it. It's very complicated. It is really complicated. And I think coming from a, a family that was mixed Hillary and Bernie. Mine too. Yeah, we had an, we had an awkward Christmas in 2015 where people were like, uh, it was the first time that politics were ever weird in my family. Cause yes. It's like, are we to the left? Are we center left or are we far left? Oh, I don't know. We're going to get in like awkward family debates about that. I was getting tweet a text from my mom about how Bernie was doing in the primaries, uh, which was unusual. I'm I'm not sure who voted which way in my family, but I kind of because people tried to kind of keep it polite. And I think that one of my parents voted one way and the other one voted the other way. And I think that's the first time that's ever happened, Whoa. which is really interesting. Well, at um, least no one voted for Trump. I mean, they better not have. They're kicked <laughs> no out. No protest vote. They're, they get to go live with Paul Ryan, <laughs> Uncle Paul down in Janesville. They they don't get to live up in Frederick anymore. Um, but but here's something that I thought about. Like, I think that there was bad faith. I mean, if we're talking about assessing candidates and 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 the the negative feelings around both candidates based on who aligned themselves with those candidates, right. I think that there were bad faith assumptions made. I hate saying this, but on both sides, like the Bernie bro thing isn't a total myth. Like no. there are definitely uh, kind of men informed by their sexism who believes that who believe that their liberalism inoculates them from misogyny, which is right. not true. Which and I think that Bernie did try to disavow that, mm-hmm. you know, s- platform. Right. He. D- I mean, but but at the same time, you don't get to choose your fans or your supporters right. like David Foster Wallace was a brilliant writer. His fanboys are the very worst. Right, and right, they, right. And right. Make, they're so bad that they almost make me not like, they make me like his writing less. <laughs> um, but, you know, and Bernie had great policies and he had people that were supporting him who were not people he would probably choose to represent him publicly. Right, right. And I think the same thing goes for Hillary because I think that, that I think that when it comes to the first major party uh, polit- like presidential nominee, I think that there was a lot of historical, like, anger and hurt. Like, when you're a woman, I think that you go your whole life getting the, like, death by a thousand paper cuts, little sexisms all the time. And when you're finally in a position where you think you're you're getting what you you think. What you've worked for. Yes. And then it seems like maybe you're getting sex, you're facing sexism again, even still. I think that that's, it's easy to really react negatively to that. Yes. And to to see I it's be, being tr- being treated differently because of who you are makes you feel a little crazy. And I and I'm not saying that Hillary people are crazy, but it makes you feel that some people are doing that to you all the time. Cuz it's well it's like here's here's I think I can sum up the feeling if you are those people, those women, enough. Like enough. Like yeah. what else does she have to do mm-hmm. to be able to win the fucking election? Right. And like be, yeah. enough. And to be fair, you know, when Hillary after the 2016 election, people were like, Hillary, please go away. Please go right. away. Please go away. And now, you know, and if she were to declare her candidacy, people would 
be just apoplectic. It, they would have had the same reaction, roughly, that people had to Bernie. Yes, yes. But I feel like because Hillary was at the top of a losing ticket, I feel like it would be even more so. Like, right. Bernie didn't get a chance to run against Donald Trump, but there's still a negative reaction to it because it's just like, people are like, look, there's sexism in the way that people have treated Hillary and Bernie, no matter how you shake it. Correct. Bernie didn't choose to have that happen. Right. Neither did Hillary. But that's reality. And so people are reacting to, I think, like the perceived attitudes instead of the actual candidates themselves and their policies and the fact that Bernie has for decades been standing up for women, for minorities, for workers. Right. All of that goes away when his most ardent and vocal supporters or when anybody's most ardent and vocal supporters are fucking assholes to you. Assholes. Or they or they they you feel like they're being assholes to you. So it is difficult to unpack. I mean, what are your personal feelings about Bernie What's running? What's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Here's my thing. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that I think that the electorate has told us some things in the past hundred years. One, going forward a second time, usually not that successful. Um, one, two, most people who become the Democratic nominee are and win the presidency are a little younger. And I think that what the midterms tell us is that people are looking for a new fresh voice. Mm -hmm. Now, that's complicated because so much of the new fresh voice that these new entrants to politics have are sort of what Bernie's been talking about for many years. So you can see why he would still be a very relevant player in 2020. But part of me thinks that like we need a new broom sweeps clean kind of vibe and we should start fresh. Yeah, I think I think that's an interesting take. I also think you, you mentioned the face of politics and the Democratic Party changing. And I think that the face of the party is the same, but our elected officials now just reflect who we are, who, right. who is voting for them more closely than it did before. That just reminded me, Chicago had a, a mayoral runoff yes. last night and the top two vote getters were both black women. African-American so women. Chicago will have a black female mayor for yes. the first time in its history, they they toppled the daily. So I think that that's a that's a really good. I mean, and and you know the daily the the daily legacy in Chicago is a huge deal. Do you know my daily legacy? No. Okay, so when he was chief of staff, Bill Daly, who ran for mayor, mm -hmm. uh, when he was chief of staff, he told me that a pair of my pants were so ugly he'd burn them if he owned them. Well, they were plaid and they were beautiful. I believe they were beautiful. But, like, I still don't feel good for people losing. So, you know, it's not like I wished it on him. It's not retribution. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that the that Bill Daly losing in Chicago is a good example. It should be a warning yes. for 2020 Democrats that, like, you know, Bill Daly might have had good ideas and he might have had good connections and he might have had bad taste in fashion. Because bad. Because, obviously, yours is unassailable. Impeccable. Please. Perfect. You should see me today, guys. Yeah. It's like clogs. Like chef's clogs. <laughs> Wow. her way leggings, Clogs but I pulled it together. You did it. Thank you. You fully did it. But you know oh. the one thing about Bernie, though, that I am still so conflicted? Well, not conflicted, but I think people need to think long and hard about. Mm -hmm. In the week that we talked about where he had he raised over $10 million, he had something like 350,000 donations. Mm -hmm. There's something there. Yep. And if people discount it, they will be as wrong as they were the last time. Mm -hmm. I agree. And 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 then just also to kind of double back on what we were saying, I think that if you're looking for a progressive candidate who's championing a lot of things that Bernie is championing and who also brings a freshness and a youth 
I, I feel like there are some candidates in the mm-hmm. field that are, um, and some of them have been on Pod Save America or yep. are about to be on Pod Save Maybe America. they'll be on Hysteria. Maybe they'll be on Hysteria. That knock on wood, that'd be great. Maybe we should ask them all how they feel about Bernie. <laughs> that would be, what a, you know what? That is such a minefield of a question. That was super unfair for me to ask you that. <laughs> it's okay. That was like, you I know. I think I really handled it with you a You did a great job. Remember five years ago when every magazine profile would ask a female celebrity if they were a feminist and it was just a huge <laughs> blow up? It was yeah. just like a trap. You were never asking men how they felt about No. It. But anyway, I'm sorry I sexismed you, Alyssa. That's okay. <laughs> so we unpacked the Bernie thing, kind of. Deftly. And and we just want all of you to know that if you're a Bernie supporter, if you're somebody who is personally finds Bernie's support not really your cup of tea, we're not on either of your sides. No, we just think we need to talk about we it. We just think we need to talk about it, and it's healthy to kind of unpack things around the last election, because otherwise we're just going to repeat our mistakes. And this is the last time we're using Unpack for today. Yes. 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 <laughs> okay. We have to take a break. When we come back, personal, political. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love that for Viore. You know what? That seems like a real perk of Iori. <laughs> it is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. <laughs> five the, stars. No five, comment. 100% great. That's the type that's my favorite sport. The new the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own. Grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging which features a high-waist drawstring tie and upgraded no-slip fit. All things that are absolutely essential in a legging. Essential. Uh, I love these leggings. They are cuz you know like not everybody's the same. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty. So I I size up a little bit, but then it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just just pull that drawstring and I don't show show any crack when I bend over. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. (laughs) (laughs) For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh, my gosh. Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Hysteria is brought to you by ZocDoc. Do you love to treat yourself? Maybe I you do. buy fancy coffee? I know everybody does, right? Yeah, come on. It's called a dopamine infusion. We do what we can it. when we can. Exactly. Sometimes you just need a little special little treat to boost you to get through the day. If you treat yourself to the top options other places, why settle when finding a doctor? It's your health after all. 
Enter ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. So don't settle. Go for the best and find the right doctor for you. Erin, let me tell you. I'm so lucky ZocDoc heard that my dermatologist was not taking my insurance anymore. I found a new dermatologist in a half hour on ZocDoc. Takes my insurance not far away. Got an appointment right away. That's something that would take like a good half day of sweaty phone work. Yeah. In a pre-ZocDoc era. You're just prostrating yourself to the poor receptionists that answer the call, and you're like, no, you're not calling, you're on hold, you're giving them information, they're asking you, they're they're framing their questions in ways that you don't quite understand because that's not how it's written on your insurance card. Totally. My group number? I don't know. (laughs) I don't, bin number? I don't know. I don't know. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. Go to ZocDoc.com slash hysteria and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash hysteria. ZocDoc.com slash hysteria. When it comes to listing your home for sale, everyone and their mom has advice. Oh, honey, who's going to want to buy this place on a cul-de-sac? It's literally a dead end. But for professional advice, a REMAX agent actually knows best. Let's start with a neighborhood analysis. I've been seeing lots of buyers looking to move here. REMAX is the most trusted name in real estate. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 BrandSpark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Hello, welcome back to Hysteria. This is Personal Political. I'm Erin Ryan. I am so excited for the topic we're tackling today. It's something we've wanted to talk about for a really long time. We're going to talk about money. What is it? (laughs) Why do we need it? (laughs) What can it be used to purchase? What is purchasing? And we're going to talk about the awkwardness of money, why we don't learn enough about money, and the way that money interferes with our relationships or enhances our relationships and and all that stuff. We're going to solve it, guys. We're going to solve it. (laughs) I'm bringing in an all-star team to join me today. First of all, Kieran Deal. She's a filmmaker. She's an actress. She's a writer. And she is going to own a Bentley airplane. Bentley airplane, guys. (laughs) It's the duck boat of the sky. (laughs) Get on board. (laughs) Did you just improv that? You, I've no. been thinking about it for a good eighteen hours. You know, I'm like, what? What would I buy with money? Ah, uh, Bentley airplane. <laughs> Bentley airplane. People are like, you don't. Not at like a house or savings. Nah. Because <laughs> nah. you live on the Bentley airplane. No, I don't oh. live on. Alyssa. Why not? <laughs> Bro, I didn't realize you were that posh. Yeah, no. Now I, I like, know. I was like, no, no. That's that's the purchase. <laughs> that's the purchase. It's like Bentley airplane, then groceries. <laughs> you know? Amazing. Um, second up today on the squad is America's soulmate and the author of the forthcoming <laughs> book. So here's the thing. Alyssa Master Monaco. You guys, am I like your Sally Field? A little bit. <laughs> okay. Ah, yeah, you are. Right, Gidget, though. Gidget slash flying nun. Flying nun. Flying nun. Flying nun in a Bentley airplane. <gasps> oh. You know, you fly. Coming to Netflix. You are flying. 
as a nun next to my Bentley airplane. That's really cute. You can hold hands. Yeah. Well, you can't get that close that, to a Bentley airplane. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, mean, I was like, I'll just feeling. wave. I'll just wave with my my aerodynamic hobbit. Yeah. <laughs> Flappy hat. <laughs> and uh, last but not least, newest member of the squad, and. Uh, on her first episode. Welcome. Oh my gosh. She's a comedian, writer, and co-host of the Couples Therapy Podcast, which she co-hosts with her man, which is adorable, I think. It's tender. (laughs) It's unhealthy. It's love. (laughs) It's Naomi Ekparrigan. Hello. Uh, What is money? What, where do you get it? Where do you get it? That's, That's a good. Question. What does it look like? <laughs> How does it I hear it grows head? on trees. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, well, I wanted to get into the money thing just because this is something that Kieran has expressed an interest in talking about. Naomi, you've expressed an interest in talking about it. And Alyssa, you too. I've written about it. She's written about it. We've, yeah. we've all thought about it. Some of us <laughs> might even have money on us right now. I think I have like a dollar in my pocket. Couldn't tell you uh, how much. <laughs> I have $20, which I asked my husband for before I left the house because I didn't go to the ATM. Oh. <laughs> you were going to say, because I'm a kept woman. I know. <laughs> you asked him. Yeah. He holds it, and then he doles it out <laughs> based on your behavior. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there are a few things about money that I think we all kind of wanted to dive into. First of all... Women and money is a little bit fraught because in the U.S. at least we haven't been able to access it with the, in the same way that men have been able to access it for very long. I think it was just in the 60s and 70s that we just were able to get credit cards without our husband's permission, which is crazy. Cause, mm. Because very few people on this podcast are married. One, so that means I'm one, married. One, yeah, one, out, of one, one, one yeah, out of four. I got married late in life. But Naomi Ish. is like Ish. Naomi's like super betrothed. She's like extremely betrothed. But I keep the money. Yeah, that's that's how I keep my independence. (laughs) But first, the first thing I want to talk about is like money education. That's something that Kieran, you've brought up a lot. How much, Kieran, do you feel like you know about money and finances? Considering that I opened on wanting a Bentley airplane. <laughs> yes, tell us about that path. Yeah, the path to the Bentley airplane. Yeah, I, I would say I think it's a big topic that causes like a lot of shame. Um, like I, I think about like in health class, right? It's like no matter who your parents are or where they are, like the sex talk happens in school. Like that's a thing that happens in school. But like there's no equivalent class at any point in your life about money that is required in the American education system. And I think that's criminal. I totally agree. Especially I, I was thinking about this even before, you know, not just how do you spend it? How do you invest it? But even just doing taxes. Mm-hmm. How can you graduate an American high school and not know how to file your own taxes? Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. that ostensibly everyone is going to have to do at some point in their life. You can't get around it. And they won't even teach you that. And mm-hmm. I feel like that I is mean, such a basic skill. I mean, just give skill. us a TurboTax tutorial, if anything. Like, <laughs> right. explain what the fields mean. You know, yeah. I will never. Yeah. In college, my dad started making me file my own taxes. Something that should have taken 30 minutes took two days because <laughs> I was like so nervous to press that button because I didn't know if anything I put down was right. 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 Mm-hmm. I think, Kieran, going back to what you were saying about there not being money education in most schools, I think that brings us to where people learn about money and that's in their homes and it's from their parents. And I think the fact that we have to learn about it from our parents means that people who have parents who have money end up learning more about money. So they right. end up kind of ahead of the game when it comes to dealing with their own shit. But do you think so? Or do you think people who grow up around money grow up with it never really being an issue because they don't have to struggle with how to maintain it? But I think they learn 
they like for instance they're gonna have a bank account earlier. Good point. Certainly Good point. gonna have like a savings account. Yep. Mm-hmm. Maybe even a trust fund. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that exists opens you up to then the basic questions, Making right? Making it like, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah like, you, like, you're engaged in wanting to know how you get more. Exactly. And building credit over time. Like, right. b- yep, if you're, you're building right. credit from when you're 12 or 15 <laughs> or whatever it is, when you get, you know, yeah. when you get a credit card, then that's a very different narrative, you know? Right. Or I know people who use their college loans to buy property during, you know, like... That, that seems wrong. That's, that's crazy. A, is that a mistake? That sounds like a mistake. I don't know if that's legal. <laughs> and and that's the problem. It wasn't me. I don't own anything <laughs> except for a future Bentley airplane. But, like, if that's not legal, I'm, I didn't say who. <laughs> so, sorry, government. No. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, people who who, like... Like most people are very wealthy in this country. It's not about the income that you make. Mm-hmm. It's about all of it. A lot of your money is passive income that is accruing mm-hmm. more money for you. And that's a very different way to think about work and money. Mm-hmm. It's just like right. this idea of passive income from money that is nested away somewhere versus like, I'm going to make this wage and spend pieces of this wage, which is I feel very much how we are taught to think about work and work equaling value. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times money education, if you're not somebody who was taught when you were a kid, a lot of times your first real lesson is when you get a red envelope in the mail that's like, you are ex- we're going to come to your house. Pass and- due. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so you don't understand what credit is. You don't understand what money is until you've destroyed your credit and set yourself back financially for a really long time. Like, I went to college at, uh, I went to a private school. I went to Notre Dame. And I, before I had gone there, I hadn't been around rich people at all. Same. It didn't occur to me that they, that were that many of them. <laughs> I thought, I just thought there They've was multiplied. like. multiplied. Yeah, right. It was just like, well, you know, the chiropractor in my town is a big house and an in-ground pool. And that's the rich guy. So our rich guy was the equine veterinarian. Oh, really? We yeah. have a rich oh. veterinarian, too. Yeah. Yeah. Specialty. Yep. Yeah. Horses. But, you know, I, I went to college, and it was the first time that I was around people who could just, like, buy an airplane ticket. You yes. know, like, right. or who got Pathfinders for their birthday. Yeah. That wow. happened. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, and, that, and then, you know, going to college, I, the first time, I remember the first time I met somebody whose parents were paying their $50,000 a year tuition just out of pocket. Right. Just out of pocket. And I remember graduating from college, and then those people were able to use everything that they earned to save for themselves. Have or, an apartment right. without right. four roommates. Right. And they right. didn't have, like, their, their credit wasn't completely dependent on their ability to pay student loans off. And then they were able to buy property in their 20s. And right. then, you know, now they're in their 30s, and they've traded up, and I'm still paying my student loans off. Yeah. I mean, I went to school... I started rich school and middle school, so I definitely knew 11-year-olds with credit cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you were in, in New York. Fuck. Yes, in New York. I went to school in the Upper East Side, and I learned very quickly. You know, like, you know, I'm from Harlem, but I'm from original Harlem, not the Red Rooster you think of now. Mm-hmm. And so there was definitely... That was an important clarification. It is, though. <laughs> it I is. feel like people hear Harlem, yes. and they go, ooh, and it's like, nah, girl. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a dividing line. And to, to watch uh, Manhattan change and what happened once you hit 96th Street, if you were on the East Side... So so it was literally a different world mm-hmm. at that time, you know, and what it was to see people have money. And then I also went, I started there in sixth grade, which made the year after that bar and bat mitzvah season. Wow. So if you want to know who rich, just go to a bar and bat mitzvah. <laughs> Where is it? What's happening? Mm-hmm. Are there things? How many people? What's the entertainment? 
I mean, Nick City dancers are coming through. All right, <laughs> Eli is a man now. And so, <laughs> it would be like, but you would see that, and there was just such a consciousness very early on of like having and not having. Yes, you know, and being like, oh, how does that happen? But then at the same time, like. Before I'd gone to that school, I thought I was fine. Like, right. my mom's a lawyer. Like, we weren't, it wasn't rough. Right. But it was like, oh, there's like a way to be, like, to never think again. And, like, the difference of, like, it was work for her for me to go to that school, even with partial scholarship, right? right? And as you said, people who were just like, oh, yeah, they just pay for school and they're set. And then, like, when they get out, and especially they want to be creative, they get this allowance. Mm-hmm. To right. help them like float, you know, their dream. Right. Uh, money is comparative. Like this is a big like like understanding w- what wealth is 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 comparative. Like they had this thing called gross domestic happiness. I don't know if you've heard of this. Oh uh, yes. No. Yeah. And it's like gross domestic happiness in like Bangladesh is one of the poorest countries in the world, but everybody's poor together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty fucking happy. Happy. Do you right. know what I mean? Because you're not you're not, you know it's like in India. It's like to be rich means to have a fridge and. Um, a television like it's like oh which means that you could be poor in america and you just have those things right. and that is like upper middle class like you are bawling out of control you that, understand? one of my favorite interviews that i've ever seen is is a bob marley interview where he's being asked you know are you wealthy and he's like well you have to define what you mean by wealthy because oh, you know no i don't have planes but th- i'm i'm happy i live here you know so i i always like default to that. Yeah. I think at the same time, talking about wealth, talking about whether or not you're wealthy, talking about whether or not you're successful is awkward. It's super awkward. Talking about it with your friends is awkward. Like, have you ever had a conversation with somebody and realized that you were both in totally different, you you were both living in totally different worlds, like when it comes to money? Yes. Yes. And it wasn't, it's not something yeah. that you realize. And I think, you know, specifically, Kieran and Naomi, you both work in a creative field. And Naomi, you touched on this. But it's really hard to get started as a writer, as a comedian, as an actor, as anything creative, because you make no money. And a lot of the people that are starting alongside of you are able to do it because they have somebody subsidizing them. Well, and this is what, I mean, I think it goes to why we're having this conversation, what we're talking about. It's not your fault if you were born a baller. It's your fault if you pretend to be poor and act like we are in the same trench, okay? That's like what makes me crazy. I feel like, you know, there is, I think there's shame around not having money and then there's also the shame around having it. Mm, People don't want to talk about, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't want to admit maybe that they are getting help and I don't necessarily think you should, um, you know, brag about it, shout it from the rooftops, (laughs) but I think it can, it can be (laughs) when you get your Bentley plane. Graciously, graciously. (laughs) You won't have to shout it because we'll just see it at the the tarmac. Right. It's going to be loud. It's going to be loud. You're going to hear it overhead. But I'm like, you should, you can talk about that. I also think, because I also think in talking about it, you then take the, you take the shame and pressure off of the friend who doesn't have, yes. and the person who's wondering what they're doing wrong yes. because their life doesn't look like that life. Well, and you know, for me, so creative fields, yes, government, not exactly a, a boon. You know, <laughs> if you are, but people think because it's a powerful job that you have money, yeah. and they don't know. You know, I mean, I lived in really a not great 
situations up until, you know, I finally got a proper promotion in the White House. And once I did, the thing that I tried to do, because I was so ashamed all those years, I had no money. I had terrible credit, which we can talk about later. <laughs> and once I got myself out of that hole, I really felt it was my duty to pay it forward. So I did kind of own that I was in a better financial position. But in a way that people who had problems felt comfortable to come talk to me mm -hmm. because everybody should know how to fix their credit. And so, someone came to me, their house was being foreclosed on and they were so ashamed and it could have been fixed if they had just asked for help mm -hmm. six months earlier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. The idea of pretending that you don't have money is something that you see a lot in politics, Yeah, where it's like you see politicians being like, yeah, I'm just a regular Yale law <laughs> grad who worked in corporate law for 15 years. And now I'm at a state a fair. Partner. Now, I'm, now I'm holding a corn dog, just like a poor guy. <laughs> And you like holding it like I think it's delicious. Yeah, I'm holding it, oh. but my pinky's up. But this is how poor people eat, right? <laughs> this is <laughs> oh my heavens! This is this is delectable. Um, but I think that like pretending to be, to, pre pretending to have had to work harder than you had to work is something mm -hmm. that you see in politics and in creative fields. And I I also find that a little bit annoying too, as somebody who grew up without really any extra money it's sort of like no dude don't don't steal don't, the <laughs> don't one, steal my experience the one thing i have is the fact that i had to overcome being lower middle class that is my <laughs> that's my one struggle like <laughs> let me have this but class is a big th like because i was born in britain and my mom always talks about class you know because it's massive yeah. in england mm -hmm. you know it's like it because it's wealth it's oriented around wealth but it's also around your name and around your accent like there's right. all these markers of like that say who you are and how you're valuable and why you should know the queen or whatever the fuck so it's like mm -hmm. um, i met the queen of course you did. That's just, sorry. Wow. You got your Bentley. I met the Queen. Keep going. Wow. <laughs> I love the way he's like, side note, I met the Queen. Side note. It's very impressive. Did you, all sorry. Us. I'm going to tell you about my shitty credit later. <laughs> let, me have, let me have the Queen. You have the Queen. But, like, it, class is a thing in America, too. Because it, it's like, I went to Harvard, and I grew up in Boca Raton. I went to Boca Raton. My parents were first-generation immigrants. Britain to Boca? Britain to Boca, my dad was, I'd, I'd watch that. That's a memoir. That's a lot. I'd read Thank that. You. I'd watch Thank that. You. Coming to Thank Amazon. You. Thank you. Oh, God, guys. Yeah, you're guys, welcome. This might be the path. <laughs> we might have found the path. But my grandfather worked in a factory. They were a, they were first generation, like he was a first generation immigrant from India to England. They He was a middle school teacher, became a factory worker, like kind of really like that kind of hustle, mm -hmm. worked for Jaguar and like was just in a shoe salesman and then like saved all this money. Parents were the first ones to go to college because the government bankrolled that in England at mm -hmm. the time. So got a job as an engineer teacher, moved to Florida and picked a school district. They picked a place where the public schools were good. So it, it, I actually went to a high school where a friend of mine had a movie theater in his house. Like, <laughs> it was like, it, I was, it, that's what I mean when I say comparatively poor. Right. I was right. not poor. Right, right. But they had a house and whatever else. But it was like, I, like, there, like, I remember going through the second gate to get to his home, and somebody was like, do you work here? And I was like, I am going to Harvard. Like, that's the first time I've ever said that in my life. I was like, how dare you? How dare you? Um, but that, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a comparative thing. Right. And then it was like, but it's also the placement of somebody saying, 
hey, because this school district is wealthy, let's make sure we fall in, in these lines or zones so that we can get this education at this right. good public school. Right. And the way that that impacts opportunity then, because now think about the, you went to a good school. It's like the categorical advantage, the mm-hmm. gift right. of, of education of for mobility in our nation. Definitely. It's massive. I also want to talk a little bit about generational wealth, because that's an important thing, too. When we look at people who have mobility now, like millennials are are out earning yeah. their parents by I think like fi- I think fifty percent. How? Right? Yeah. And but who are they? Who yeah. are these millennials? I thought they're all writing for the internet. How did they get money? Well, apparently they figured out how to make that profitable. Really? They, yeah. I mean, I but like fifty bucks a post. They're out know. earning their they're out earning their parents, but at the same time, they're not owning property. They're not having children because everything has gotten so much more expensive that it's like not an economically sound decision to, to do those things. It's not feasible. And I it also like reading that stat made me think about generational wealth and how it's kind of accumulated and how a lot of people who are like the bootstraps crowd don't understand that it wasn't until, like you know, it was just a, a generation ago that like black people couldn't own property in right. areas that had right. high property values and they couldn't pass that along to their children and that, that kind of robbed them of the ability to create legacy wealth. I just want to talk about like rich parents, like rich parents and how they have impacted your situation or they've impacted the situations of people around well, you. Did anyone have rich parents? No. No. Yeah, no. No. But so you know what? Poor kids try harder. It's okay. I'm sad about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm still sad about it. Oh, I would have loved to be a person. I would, oh, <laughs> you know? I Because there's a social component, too. It's like, then you, because you were talking about how you end up getting into debt. If everyone around you takes ski trips and that's how you meet people. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. Or everyone around you is on a yacht or everyone around you grew up sailing or grew up right. horseback riding and you don't. That is a social marker. That is, right. again, a class marker right. that forms bonds that are going to enable you to get jobs and network and like do all this shit that matters so that you can have a Bentley airplane. Well, I didn't f- it's interesting though cuz like when you say like those things, you know like all those activities I'm like ew, I wouldn't have wanted to be friends with those people. Right, of but course. I I went to a liberalized college, very fancy, a lot of like we're going to pretend we're broke but we actually have money cuz cuz I knew I learned that the moment I was like, "Oh, none of you guys have campus jobs." Right. Like I had I right. had the loan, the scholarship and the job at the library. Right. And then if you like didn't work, that meant someone was just paying for you to go to college. Mm. I remember taking a film class, a film production class. It was my first time I was a film major. You didn't take it junior year and I was like one of the only people in that class who had like never touched a camera you know what I mean like and that's the difference too like I remember getting into being like it's heavy and expensive and I'm scared of it Mm -hmm. and there are other people who are like I know already how to use this either I have my own or I took like a a film program at NYU last summer or something and that is it's like it's a different way but those are other sneaky little ways in which you get that leg up, right. you get well, that group. And for me, it was my first internship in D.C. So when I had my internship in Burlington, Vermont, which was much easier, I... With Bernie. Was, with Bernie. I was Love a hostess, it. I babysat, and I I had a third job. I can't remember what it was. But when I went to D.C., that wasn't possible because of the structure. So I saved money all year long. Mm. And I got my little internship, mm-hmm. and I had my three outfits that I rotated. <laughs> Right? All free people. Yeah. Without blazer. Without blazer. With and without. And I had, uh, and I made my lunch every day. 
and it was the first time, and I didn't think to ask my mom, like, I'd saved the money, I was proud of myself, but it was the first time I really was like, wow, I'm, I'm less than these people. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they took cabs, you know, I took like three metros mm-hmm. uh, to get there, I was sweating through my clothes by the time <laughs> I got to work, and that was the, my first time where I saw these kids who were being fully funded, who had nice apartments, I was sleeping on someone's couch for three months, mm-hmm. and, and I was like, oh, this is coming from where I grew up, where everyone was basically kind of, you thought everyone was roughly the same, that was like my first real moment when I was like, I'm, I'm not, I like to say different, not less. I for sure felt less. Well, that's, that's mm. an interesting point that you bring up and I also think a lot about in the like creative field is that people who are of means are overrepresented in those fields because mm-hmm. it's impossible almost to get started if you don't have means. So that means that D.C. is populated, the government is run by right. people who have no idea what it's like to need money or to yeah. not <laughs> be able to take cabs places. Or and, and I was just thinking, you know, as, as you were talking, Alyssa, about how much you had to save, I was thinking about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and how she's paying mm-hmm. all of her staffers a minimum of $52,000 a year, which is an absurdly yeah. high starting salary right. in D.C. Mm-hmm. And she, I, I read that she's not using more money to do that. She's just hiring fewer, fewer people, people. Yeah. and paying them like human beings. And I feel like that's maybe the only path to like allowing people with a variety of experiences yep. to actually come up through the government because right. if you don't you know if you don't have money you can't really can't really do that and if those first internships aren't paid you know what I mean? Like, just right. the, and these are long hours with right. long, like how many people just don't get the shot mm-hmm. is what it comes down to at the end of the day. Like, yeah. how do you, how do you begin right. if you don't have, well, yeah. and part of what, when I was at the White House that we had a very long discussion of was, you know, for a White House internship, the paragraph about your volunteerism. And I was like, I never would have had time to volunteer. If that was a requirement yeah. for any of my internships, I never would have gotten one because I had to babysit. Right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I had to work That's in a restaurant. Yeah. yeah. I felt I felt that it was. It and is. we actually we actually calib- we we changed a little bit sort of the requirements because we realized it wasn't fair. At the average and then and you Melissa will know this for sure, but it's like out of the House of Representatives, it's like the mean is eight hundred thousand dollars and the Senate it's one point two million. For their Personal wealth. Personal wealth. Yeah, I think that's close. That makes me so fucking angry. Of course. That makes me so angry. That is, the, Those are the median numbers of mm-hmm. what the people who represent everyone in this country make. Think, like, just think or about... Or have. Or have, have. Or what they yeah. have. But think about how... How are how are you the one deciding what people get paid for Social Security, for unemployment, minimum wages? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all because teacher you know, salaries, and it's and so frustrating because you know as much as we don't want to think that it matters, you know, our personal experiences inform our level of empathy mm-hmm. and the in the lens through which we see the world. No matter how many degrees you have, no matter how many internships you may have had, right? It's still going to come ultimately from what you know and what you recognize what you relate to right and so when you've got 800 if you've got 800 grand if you never have to worry about that mortgage payment and you never have to worry about your kid getting good enough grades to get the scholarship to go to the good school your kid could fucking coast on all d's because mm-hmm. you can buy their way but in. also when you've never had to figure it out for yourself you don't know how to communicate it to people who need you to help them figure it out mm-hmm. so if you've never had to worry about how to file yeah. your taxes or how to refinance your 
your house or anything like that, you don't think about the people who do have to worry about those problems or have any idea how to come up with a program that could help them. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah, that, that that is really a good point and it just made me black out for a second <laughs> because I was like, fuck, fuck. Everybody that's in a position to help me has no idea what I would have needed when I was in my 20s. Well, no, but here's, you have to have faith that in every room, there's one person, mm-hmm. right? Like, like I am not a policy person, but I was always permitted to sit in on policy discussions. And when there was a discussion about food stamps, everyone was having this very sort of, you know, cerebral conversation yeah. about it. And I finally just raised my hand and I was like, I like used to work at the grocery store that was the only grocery store for 50 miles that took food stamps. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you how people are humiliated mm-hmm. and embarrassed yep. and how I had to pass judgment on what they were buying and be like, nope, you have to put that in a separate pile because that's taxable that grocery. Exactly. Right. And the Ugh. things that are considered non-essential, diapers, tampons, maxi pads, mm-hmm. um, think about that. You're just like a mom trying wait, to buy diapers. Wait, poor people have like... Needs. Like they ha- they're they're not just they like Barbies bodies. down there. No, they have bodies. No. They have, bodies. They have periods. They have periods. Can you they imagine? Do. They can't afford those. Poor That's, and period. They yeah. should just <laughs> stop that. <laughs> I mean, that I think that's a. The empathy piece that you brought up, Naomi, is really important, and you know, and it and it plays out in rooms where pe- nobody knows what they're actually talking about beyond like the theoretical. I want to go around the table and everybody give like imagine you can take a time machine back and tell yourself at age twenty two, yes, one piece of financial advice. Oh, that yes. you have that you've personally learned. Alyssa, do you want to go first? I'll go first. So uh, I am someone who was. Uh, had terrible credit and didn't know it for a very long time until she wrecked her car, needed to get a car loan for $5,000, and got denied. So I personally am just totally vigilant about always checking my credit and seeing what my Social Security number is attached to because good credit will get you very far. And so that is my my credit score. Okay. Naomi? I feel like I wish if I had known, you know, no matter what it was, no matter how much I was making, I wish I could have told myself to save 10% of my income. Yes. Even just 5 or 10%. Every, because there were definitely times in in my 20s where, like, for instance, I was an editor at an art magazine where I was like, I'm, like every two weeks I got paid. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I could have saved some of that, especially given that I wanted to make the transition into the creative stuff. Yes. And it wouldn't have been huge, but it would have been enough, like, maybe I would have moved to L.A. earlier. Maybe I would have, you know, done certain things as someone who's been engaged for six years and just still doesn't have money for a wedding. Mm. You know? I want to double down <laughs> on that because the one thing I did create as I got a little older, I mean, once I paid off, you know, my debt and fixed my credit, was my Fuck You Fund which was Mm. basically 10%. As I got older, I put it in like a deferred savings plan straight from my paycheck, so I never saw it. But basically put enough money away so that if I ever had a job I hated, I could pay my rent for two months. Yes. Mm. And that was my, I always, no matter what, it wasn't even in my savings account, it was like my separate savings account. That's like I gotta learn about that. We'll talk about that off mic. Separate savings. Separate savings. That's a that's a really good idea. Some people say that you're supposed to have six months, but <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I mean, two was a real achievement, right? Yeah, yeah six months. What are we kings? <laughs> that's crazy. Kieran, how about you? Uh, I think um, one would be to remember that. Uh, Things don't matter, and they don't define your value. I've been joking about the Bentley airplane <laughs> the whole time, but it, it, your value is not defined by how much money you have or what you do. Worth, worth as a human being and 
the amount in your bank account, those are two separate things. And I think very often in a consumerist culture, we conflate those two things. Mm-hmm. I think it's incredibly important to remember, it doesn't matter what the fuck car you drive. Like, it doesn't matter if you're Bradley Cooper, if you're homeless on the street, you have value and worth as a person. And that is very, very separate from wherever you buy wine or mm-hmm. coffee or clothes. water or clothes. <laughs> like, it, those are very separate things. And then I, I wish I'd learned more about, like... Um, I, things I still don't know, like like the a, like a Roth IRA. A four, oh, you got to get one. Like a four hundred one k. Yeah. Like the, all these. There's all these numbers with letters. Right. The number. The the number letter money stuff. Right. Especially I, as uh, a freelancer. Like yes, which is what we are. I don't yes. know. Like, like, but I What's so interesting now is that when you hear someone who says they have a four hundred one k, you think they're rich. I, right. I just think, oh, oh, they know what's they up. Know, yeah, yeah they right. I think up. they know what's yeah. up. Right. They know what's up. They they've done it. You right. know, or or like how to invest. Like just any any sort of like money. Like beyond like trying to have good credit and like save and like not do stuff um, <laughs> and live below your means. It's like I wish I had like gotten really literate at the 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 tools that. Um, that would help you to make passive income. Yes. Because that is ultimately how you would build a nest egg for yourself anyway. Mm-hmm. Getting good at that. I mean, I didn't really, I've never really had enough to do something significant, but I remember you said it's like if you took those times you were working, you took 5% of that or or whatever you could do, 100 bucks a month. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what, or 50 bucks a month or $5. It doesn't matter. It's right. Like, but if you've been doing it consistently after 10 years, that's still money. Mm-hmm. Right. You know? Right. Of and if that was making you money, that's like a thing we all need to live and i i wish that i i wish that was something i learned it's something i still need to learn um, <laughs> well I think, and i will learn it in the airplane i think it's, i mean your airplane is just going to be stocked with yeah. financial literacy information and iphones can't go wrong with u.s government bonds <laughs> that's my like 1940s <laughs> newsreel yeah. that was very good thank you we liked yeah. it uh so chicken in every pot thank you a lot, a lot of voices a lot of voices in this episode, I like yeah. that. <laughs> yep, it's it's a voicey one. That one thing that your point, Kieran, reminded me of was that Anne Helen Peterson piece at BuzzFeed about millennial burnout that yeah. went hyper viral, yeah. where she kind of characterized a lot of financial stuff as like high effort, low reward activities. They're things that if you it takes a lot of effort to learn how to set up a portfolio if you don't know anything and balance a portfolio and manage your finances if you're starting from zero. You're still using that word. And I keep ba- thinking of like, portfolio. no, the portfolio. And I keep thinking of like headshots in a binder. <laughs> yeah. Binders full of women. Yeah. <laughs> Binders full of myself. <laughs> um, but, but it takes a lot of effort to, to start from zero and learn what all these things are. And like it's like speaking another language. And the reward is you're somewhat financially solvent. It's not a pleasurable thing. It's right. just you. Right. The reward is stasis. For, and, for th- and it's like a thing for the future. Right. Yeah. Right. And you don't get to see it for a very long time. And the punishment is kind of a slow burn inability to get the things that you want to get. So it's like really hard to grasp the risk reward of it. So I, I think that it's something that people just need to decide to set aside a weekend where it's like, look, I am going to make myself some tea, have a nice breakfast <laughs> and sit down with this book for four hours, like find for dummies or whatever mm-hmm. and and like figure out what the very basics are and then at the end of this weekend I'll know more than I did at the beginning. One thing that I wish I would have done when I graduated from college was just 
stay on top of my student loans mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and go out to bars and drink half as much because <laughs> right. because I spent so much I was in Chicago right after college and that's a really good place to be just out of college it's really fun but I spent so much time in bars that sucked with people I no longer talk to drinking like shitty beer and if I would have just taken one weekend night every weekend and done something like gone on a run by the lake or read or, or you could have just gotten if you like Jose Cuervo you'll love Pepe Lopez with Crystal Light before you went out that's what we did <laughs> yeah I mean it just, I think like I spent too much money on like going out and I didn't pay enough attention to my student loans and so like late in my 20s I had like a catastrophic coming to Jesus type moment where I had to like to- like do a loan rehab program I didn't it was like not a bankruptcy thing but I had to like be totally on top of it and perfect. You had to get right. Yeah, yeah, I had to get right. And it was so much more effort than it would have required me to just always stay on top of it. It's so mm-hmm. much easier to stay ahead of it than it is to catch up to it. And I wish that I would have known that when I was 22. It's like you're not grateful that you didn't get into a car accident until you're in an accident. And you're like, man, five minutes ago, things were so dope. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, wasn't in this car accident and stuff. <laughs> well, there you have it. Money is like being in a car accident that just keeps happening your entire Every day. life. <laughs> over and over and over again. We have to take a break, but when we come back, the hills will die off. Did you know that women make up 56% of law students? That's grounds for bragging rights at the dinner table for your conservative uncle who still thinks women belong in the kitchen. It's clear that the future of the legal field is female. So why are so many legal podcasts and reviews authored by men? Hi, I'm Leah Littman. I'm Kate Shaw. And with Melissa Murray, we are the hosts of Strict Scrutiny. Each week, we break down the latest headlines and biggest legal questions facing our country through the lens of diverse voices to give you expert views you won't hear anywhere else. Strict Scrutiny is your guide to the Supreme Court. New episodes drop every Monday, plus bonuses whenever the Supreme Court takes away another one of our rights. Make sure to subscribe to Strict Scrutiny wherever you get your podcasts. The Crooked Store's latest collection has a clear message for anyone trying to take away abortion rights. Don't. The No Trespassing collection features four different designs, each inspired by a different state where abortion is under attack. There's Stay Out of My Swamp for Florida, Stay Out of My Hole for Arizona, Stay Out of My Prickly Pear for Texas, and Stay Out of My Strip for Nevada. But obviously, I'll be wearing these no matter where I am. A portion of proceeds from the collection will go to Vote Save America's F-Bands, the Fight Back Fund, which currently is supporting abortion rights organizations across Arizona, Nevada, and Florida. Head to cricket.com slash store to shop. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then, at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing, sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go, and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com and enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. 
right, we're back with more hysteria. We've reached the end of the episode-ish. I mean, Ish. who knows? This could drag on for like an hour. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, we're on the uh, the hills we'll die on. Let's start with a listener hill, and then we'll all weigh in. Hi, Hysteria. My name is Agatha. I'm calling from London. That's London, England, not London, Ontario. And the hill I would really like to die on is makeup in a gym. We all go to the gym at different times, and sometimes you'll be wearing makeup. That's fine. But please don't put makeup in the changing room before you work out. Why would you do that? It's bad for your skin. It's bad for everything. And even worse, come on, perfume in a changing room before you go work out? That's gross. I hate it. I'll die on that hill. Love you all. Bye. I uh, hard this. agree. I yeah. support this. That's I'm just right. so impressed she goes to the gym. <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. Getting I, out I there saw with a the horrible people. thing in, in a gym changing room one time. I was a, my old work used to pay for us to be members of the Equinox in Soho Posh. in Manhattan. I know we didn't pay. I mean, I wouldn't have paid for that on my own. But one time it was before work and I was like drying. I'd taken a shower. I'd worked out, taking a shower, was drying my hair. And there was a girl. I was like, what smells like crotch? And I turned (laughs) and there was a girl who had taken her, just worked out in underwear and was holding it over the hand dryer. Stop. Stop. That's. You know where that doesn't happen? Planet Fitness in Columbia County, New York. Okay. (laughs) Somebody would have said something. It was like. If you see something, say say something. something. Domestic terrorism is everywhere. Everybody saw something. Everybody smelled something. Nobody said anything. We were all too polite. It was horrifying, oh, no. but it's oh, not, it's no. not as offensive. I mean, it's it's I think it's more offensive than perfume and, and makeup. I completely stand with our listener on her hill. Agree. But, yeah. But this one was I, every time people talk about like locker room stories, my brain like snaps back to that moment. <laughs> I can feel it. I can feel See, can it. I tell you the freedom of being over forty? I just say hell no to that shit now. I would have been like now. I would be like, girl, stop. Yeah. Right. Wrong. Right. You are yeah. not at home. Assault. Red light. Yeah. Yes. You are not at home. Assault. Red light. Assault. Red right. light. Red light is a great phrase. We should be a red card. Red card. <laughs> Yellow card. Flag card. on that play. Yeah. A hundred percent. Just have some in your back pocket to yes. hand out to people. <laughs> This is a no. I think we should all get one red card a day, and we hand it out, and then that person has to just go home and think about what they've done. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so I'm going to get to my hill. I was listening to some Bruce Springsteen this week, as one do, and uh, I got to, I was was listening to Born to Run, and I got to the part in the song with the glissando. You know what a glissando is? It's when you hit one key of a piano, and you run your finger finger down it, and the glissando is sort of the Springsteenian mic drop. Like, when it gets to that point in the song, Mm -hmm. Bruce is like, I've made my point, but I'm going to repeat it again. <laughs> and I just love a glissando in a song. This is a positive hill I'll die on. When a song has a, has a little, has like a, a finger going down the piano keys, I just love it. It makes, it brings me joy. That's I, tender. I didn't know that. I didn't know that word, glissando. You clearly weren't in high school band. It's, uh, I was. <laughs> Well, then you weren't paying attention. <laughs> That's probably closer. <laughs> and, and, and then I was like, in my mind, I was like, wait, was I? <laughs> wait, I'm not sure. I'm really genuinely not sure. I was in a band at some at orchestra. Um, bougier. What is, um, seriously? Glisson- oh. But I like glissando. It sounds like the charcuterie. Yeah, uh, it's like the charcuterie of the instrument. Yeah, you know? the I mean, world. if they had it Very named, true. if they hadn't named that piano maneuver after it, it would definitely be like a, a name of a medication. I was gonna point. say like lube. Yes, <laughs> the glissando. Yeah. <laughs> okay. On that note, Naomi, the first ever hill you'll die on on the show. <sighs> okay, I'll tell you this. All right. So last night for my for my lover co-host Andy Beckerman's birthday, we went to a group dinner. 
And it was one of these places that there seemed to be a lot of in L.A. where they recommend you share. You get multiple plates and share. Don't you require me to share food with people. You don't know my relationship to them, how close we are if I want to be eating off their plate. You don't know my hunger level, all right? So you have now created this social pressure for me to split a plate's worth of food with someone I barely know. And those small plates are always too expensive for the amount of food. And too small. And too small. And they're like, I recommend you get a bunch of items and share. You don't know me. But also, how about when they judge you? Because you don't know how fucking big the plates are. And you're like, well, how many should we order? And they look you up and down and go, two or three per person. What does that mean? This woman said last night, this waitress (laughs) said last night. She goes, for you? For you? For you? For you. How many Weight Watchers points do you have left, Alyssa? I think you could could deal with just one. Just, The waitress said, "Are are you guys sure that's a lot of food? Bitch, yeah, I'm sure. I know what I want. I came out to a dinner. And the fact that she said that, I was almost like, you don't know me. Like, it comes back to that. Okay, this is the hill I will die on. You, you know don't what? know me. That was an excellent hill. Thank you. Excellent. Out of the gate hill. Yeah. I'm done. Both elbows strong, were on the table. Strong, strong debut. There was gesticulating. There was passion. Livid. Hard, I, livid. Hard agree. I think that that's, that's a very good hill. Because if I'm just out with my boyfriend... It's pretty, you know, yeah, we share food. But right. if I'm out with a group of people, you don't know the relationship to the other people yes. you're with. Like you and Andy might share. Right. But you might not want to share with like, you know, Andy's friend's girlfriend, you know? Then don't go to that restaurant. And no, we I don't know pick until we that got restaurant. there. That's not what it said until we got there. She was like, we get there. And literally they're like, you know, appetizers, mains, large plates. And then she goes, we get there. She's like, we recommend you share. Well, that, that ain't what I well, signed that, up for. That, <laughs> that should be the hill. Be clear. That be, you're gonna have to share. If be you come clear here. Yeah. about the sharing. No, I just think you don't tell me. Even if it was a tapas restaurant, you don't know me. I may <laughs> want five small plates to myself. Don't tell me what to do. I, I'm about to give you money. Naomi, don't tell me I'm what on, to do. I'm on the opposite side of this. For you. Yeah, that's because your thighs don't touch, Karen. That's. Yeah, you gonna share a damn plate? No, it's because I like Thank a you. lot of I like a lot of different kinds of food. It's like I don't. You know go what? To, no, listen, take listen. That no, money. Take, take that Bentley money and no, buy five plates. No, you know plate. what? No, a, I'm not doing that I, because that's why I'm going to dinner with you. You buy a fucking plate. I'll buy a plate, and I'm going to eat off your plate, whether Sick. I know you or I just Sick. met you. You know what else? Like, why are we? dinner if I can't eat off of your plate. What the fuck is wrong oh, with I'm you? Oh, I'm sorry. Let's have a general meeting and then just touch fingers the entire time. This, Karen, you also, people do not have IBS. I don't want a smorgasbord of food. I want one kind of food going into my stomach <laughs> so that I can digest properly and not have a, air quotes, situation. Yeah, well, I might have a situation, but okay, I don't so have self-control. Okay, so if we gonna argue on these hills, <laughs> if we gonna argue on these hills every damn week... Oh. I am coming through hard. <laughs> That's exactly how we want you to come. Guys, I'm fucking dying. <laughs> like I was I was almost at the point where, have you ever been laughing so hard that you're like, I'm at the top of a roller coaster hill, and if I fall, then I'll have to get up and leave the room because I won't be able to stop <laughs> laughing. It'll yeah. be like vomiting at this point. That's how I almost felt. Thank you, Naomi. That was beautiful. Yeah. And thank you, Karen, for also disagreeing. I love, we love it when women fight. That's yeah. like, 
We fight respectfully. Yeah. Well, 100%. I, don't know. I was like, I was like, fuck you. <laughs> respectfully. Respectfully. Okay, with, respectfully. With all due respect, like, fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Respectfully, you're dead to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Alyssa. Respectfully, let's never be on uh, again. So, <laughs> here's my hill. We know that Carl Lagerfeld passed away. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Carl Lagerfeld always attacked were clogs and Birkenstocks, even though I think he actually designed some. And so I've always thought that was weird, and I only wear clogs and Birkenstocks. And then I came to L.A., and I found it to be the most judgmental clog place I have ever been. <laughs> yeah, They were like, are those high heel clogs? And I was like, I don't know. They're chef's clogs from Sweden. Oh, they're comfortable. <laughs> so anyway, my hill, which is not nearly as aggressive or interesting, is that clogs are fucking awesome, and you can't stop me ever. <laughs> wow, now it's my turn to disagree. A clogs are a recipe for a turned ankle and weird <laughs> Do you foot see cramps. These? Look at these. They Those... have rubber bottoms. Okay. They are highly secure. Uh, I don't, you know what? I don't there trust. There's no heel on no. that shoe. Elizabeth. Shoes with no, shoes with no backs can fuck off. I'm scared of shoes with no backs. I'm scared. How do my, how do my feet stay in it? Is yeah. it because you're not really walking? Uh, they swell to their normal size <laughs> and they stay in the shoe. That's how it works. Except but it's instead, a slipper. It's a instead slipper. Instead of wearing shoes where when your foot swells, it looks like your foot's a loaf of bread baking outside the pan. Mm. This just looks like you're normal. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, hard disagree. But you know what? Last <laughs> last week, Grace Para brought in a pair of super high, like wooden circa 90s, like candies looking clogs. And it was offensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> See, those are not the clogs I'm talking about. Okay. You're talking about a comfort clog. I'm talking about a yeah. cl- Think yeah. dance clog. You're not talking about like a like a sexual clog. <laughs> think about the things nurses and chefs wear. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. I'm not sexy, guys. It's okay. You don't have to be. Sexual clog is the grossest. (laughs) I like sexual clog. I wasn't on board with the clog, but if you make the, I like the idea of a sexual clog. That makes me. I know what I'm. (laughs) I know what I'm getting to wear on your Bentley plane. (laughs) Sexual clog. We've got really detailed plans for this plane. Uh, Kieran, what's your hill? Um, I'm a convert to Costco. <laughs> that's not a. Is that a hill? Yeah, you a can. Bold, that's a bold I, statement I, from someone about small plates. I hated. <laughs> I hated Costco, and then my I went home, and my parents were like, Costco, 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 Costco. It was like uh, being indoctrinated into a cult, and Costco, Costco. Oh, you know what? Get this from Costco. Go to Costco. Buy a sports bar from Costco. Do it at Costco. Get gas from Costco. Costco, Costco. My mom would be around the house. I was like, oh, Where'd you get that? Costco, Costco. I mean, then my relatives came. And they were all about Costco. And I was like, these people are crazy. And then, then I got went. a membership and yeah. I went. Yeah. And yeah. I don't want to be anywhere else. Yep. <laughs> yep. It's the only place I want to go. Do you eat the snacks? When they're available. Of course I eat the snacks. I Did you hear like- what I said about the play? Like, I'll eat anything that's available, especially if it's free. And you know this. And oh, it's been touched I've seen by a hundred yeah. other people. I, I've seen it. <laughs> where did you eat dinner? The place where it was free. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, that's. I think that's a pretty good hill. So we've got small plates. The, the small plates war will continue. I yeah. think the yeah, sharing yeah. war will continue. You guys, next time I'm here, I'm just bringing small plates. <laughs> also, if you go to that happy hour, I'm gonna be like all up in your. Would not allow it. You just or would eat before. You literally would eat before knowing that was coming. <laughs> the listeners can't see this, but Kieran just made hungry, hungry hippo hands. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, that's all the time we have. I'm sorry that we have to end this episode. It was so much fun. Naomi, Alyssa, and Kieran, thank you so much for stopping by. And there will be more hysteria next week. I am from another planet. This nation is our Janet. But these girls can fan it. Y2K email, scan it. Don't take no for an answer. I'm um, girl with a mouth that's overdone. Right, cause girls just
wanna have fun, so any get your gun. Give 